Hi, it's Steph. I lost the beginning where this fellow was reading his email to me, so I will read it to you, and then we will continue with the conversation. So he wrote to me, Hi, Steph. I'm really nervous to be making this request of you. At the same time, I feel happy that I'm asserting that I have a problem that I would like some insight and assistance with in an environment where I feel safe. Long story short, could we please have a Skype conversation sometime to help me better understand my chronic overeating and body issues? I have included some information, but I don't want to overwhelm you with details. I've had weight problems all my life, and currently my weight is climbing back towards its uppermost limit. When I was a junior in college, I climbed to my highest weight ever, 325 pounds. I'm 5'10", and I couldn't take it anymore. Through moderate exercise and a low-calorie diet, I lost 75 pounds in 11 weeks and got down to 250. During my senior year, I got down to 235, but by the time graduation rolled around, I was back at 250. I got my current job two weeks after graduating at 255. In the six months that I've been working, I am now 285. Whatever insights and progress I've made in regards to these issues has always been done alone and under whatever stray willpower I have lying around. And while I confess that I do have multiple sources of anxiety in my life right now, defu, sibling stuff, loneliness, nothing quite matches that heavy sense of doom and self-loathing I feel whenever I look in the mirror. Of course, all these inner feelings are connected to my behavior, but I'm not sure how exactly, and I want to start fighting the spirals of shame that drive me to continue overeating. Let me know either way, and I certainly appreciate your time and consideration. Okay, now, just, just before we plunge in, I just want to make sure I heard something right, because you just blew my mind a little bit when you said 75 pounds in 11 weeks. Right. What did you, like, saw off a leg? I mean, that just seems like an astounding amount of uh, weight loss in a short amount of time. Um, I ate one meal a day, and it was probably around 250 calories I was eating a day. And um, okay. I spent a lot of time exercising in my personal private dorm room. Um, even though my school did have a gym, I preferred to exercise alone. Oh, yeah. And um, that's basically, that's where it all went. And uh, I'm guessing this wasn't exactly doctor-supervised, right? No, not at all. Right. I mean, you know that's, like, not healthy, right? Right, right. Okay, just just so we're aware of that. I mean, it's like you're supposed to lose about a pound a week. And uh, and again, I'm no nutritionist, right? So nothing I say here means anything. But uh, uh, but but I know that's too much, right? I mean, that's uh, uh, that's put a lot of strain on your heart and, and other organs. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I mean, obviously, the the issue isn't whether you should do it doctor supervised or whether you. I mean, obviously, you should. And the mm -hmm. issue isn't whether you go to a gym at the school or whatever, right? I mean, the issue is the emotional issues that that are the key, right? Hello, did you hear? Uh, hello. I lost the last, I don't think I heard your last question. Oh, sorry about that. Um, the, the issue, uh, I mean, the, the, the health issues and, uh, you know, where you work out, of course, you should talk to a doctor and get a plan. I mean, there's, there's no, we don't need to talk about that because your concern is the emotional stuff, right? Right, right. I agree with you. So what are your thoughts about why you, um, you overeat? 
Um, I kind of have like a lot of logical explanations I tell myself, and I don't know that any of them are especially satisfying, but um, it it's like it's it probably works in a way that a lot of addictions work, where if you're feeling extreme emotions, the food will help those emotions kind of settle down into a manageable form, even if it doesn't um, fix your problems. It kind of makes the problems feel more distant, and it's kind of has this numbing sensation. Um, I think that's a large part of it, and I kind of, I kind of have a self-talk going where whenever I go through a particularly rough day, I'll tell myself that I have something to look forward to. You know, the light at the end of the tunnel will be a particularly delicious meal or something like that. Right. Right. Okay. So um, it's it's distancing from pain and a kind of numbing that's somewhat of the goal. And it's also, it's become a reward mechanism, right? Like if you have a tough day, you say, well, I'll get through the day so that I can indulge or, or have a, uh, a tasty meal at the end of the day. Correct. Okay. Now, what, um, uh, and again, I'm, I'm sorry to ask this. I just want to get a, a sense, right? So what is a, what is a day's, eating for you? Like, what are, what are we talking here? Where is the, where is the weight coming on? All right. Well, right now I'm in this really unhealthy pattern where I eat, if I eat a meal in a day, it'll only be one meal and it will be a very large meal. Like, um, and I've noticed since I started working, um, in the last six months that my stomach capacity has gotten larger and larger. Um, it's stretching, right? right? The, if, if you put a big meal in, you're going to stretch your stomach, feel hungry more, right? Right, right. Okay. And if if I keep doing that and I keep starving myself like in between meals, it just increases the desire as well. So I think right now I'm at a point where if I don't eat any if I don't eat anything today and I eat one meal tomorrow, I could eat two large pizzas. So, that would so be sorry, I just wanna so when you say that you have the one meal, that's that's two large pizzas, right? Right. And what is that? 5,000 calories? I don't know what a large pizza is in terms of calories. I have no idea, to be honest with you. Okay, if someone could Google that and just throw it in the chat window, that would be helpful. I'm just trying to understand, right? Mm. Um, and so basically, that is about as unhealthy a diet as you could possibly have, right? Because your body starves, right? And so it, it's like, oh my God, we haven't eaten in 20 hours, right? So, uh, uh, so it's, it's whatever calories it gets is going to convert to fat, right? Right. And, and you, um, you give it massive fat calories and so on, right? Right. And then there's also the benefit of, since I'm an overweight guy, if I'm in public, um, I'm at work and I'm, my stomach is empty during that time. It makes me feel more comfortable with my weight, uh, being in public, knowing, privately knowing that my stomach is empty and I'm starving myself makes me feel like I'm more presentable or acceptable in public, which right, because, doesn't make uh, a lot of sense. But No, it does. I mean, and I understand this, and this is something that is very common with people who are uh, obese, right, which is that um, it's, it's very rare to see an obese pe uh, person eating a big meal in public, right? Right, yeah. Because you all want us to think it's like magic or something. It's just bad glands or, you know, it's, it's like, but, but you won't go back to the buffet three times in public because that's embarrassing, right? Right. Right, right. No, I've, I've seen that before. Um, there was a guy I worked with who was uh, uh, bigger than you, 
And when we would have lunch, he would like pick at his pick at sushi, you know, and and, and I never asked him because we didn't have that kind of relationship. But I mean, you just know that that I mean, his, uh, you know, there's a, a head sized hole in his fridge when he gets home. Right. So uh, it's a uh, it, it is it's a weird kind of illusion that people who are who are obese will try to maintain. Right. That it's not public overeating, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's less embarrassing if you just appear heavy without showing people how you got that way. Right, right. Okay. Now, when you, um, uh, so, so when you have a tough day, you say, okay, I'm going to order these two pizzas, right? And then you sit down. Is there a ritual associated with the eating, uh, a set of rituals, uh, or do you just basically open the boxes and, and mow down? Um, I basically always do it in front of the computer, and um, I'll order it online and kind of just wait for it to get here and get pretty excited. Um, it gives me something to think about while I'm waiting after I order it. And once it's here, I basically, um, yeah, I just start eating it. Not incredibly fast, um, but I basically keep eating until I can't anymore. Right, okay. So um, when you, obviously you're hungry when the food comes, right? Because you haven't eaten during the day. Right. And there's a, um, a, a what happens, right? Because there's a um, a bell curve, right? Where where you you're uncomfortable because you're hungry. You eat and then you get full, and you obviously you you go beyond being full. Is is that or or does it not feel that way? Uh, it, it definitely feels that way. I kind of feel like I once I'm done, I don't feel like eating, and I don't feel like I ever want to eat again. Because it feels kind of does it feel sick? Does it feel like um, gross or, or what does it what does it feel like when you're down the two pizzas? Um, not gross, but there's no joy associated with the feeling of being full. Um, like I kind of if I want to be happy after I've finished eating, I have to kind of try to remember what it felt like to be hungry and to be eating, because by the end that feeling's completely gone. The feeling of satisfaction. And then okay, it's just and I'm, that I'm just trying. I'm just trying to understand what, and I'm just trying to understand what the feeling is replaced by, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So what? Okay, so feeling? it starts. Yeah. What is the feeling when you when you sort of? I mean, you you eat until there's no pizza left, right? It's not like uh, uh, like if you were to stop before you didn't have you didn't finish the pizzas, that would feel bad or problematic, right? Right. So you eat until it's gone, and I'm just trying to understand what the feeling is after that. Um, I, it's, it's, I don't know why it's hard for me to remember it very clearly. Um, it's, there's a distance. I don't exactly feel like myself anymore. It's like, there's a disassociation. Um, there usually isn't disgust right afterwards. Um, I think the disgust hits me either the next day after I've woken up, um, or a few hours later. And there isn't any regret either. I just feel kind of not there anymore. Uh, and just, I just want to understand what not there means. Um, like I've satisfied this desire and there's nothing left. It's, it's over. Okay. So what you're saying is that you, you experience hunger and then when you're full, you experience a, a kind of, of absence. Is that is that fair to say? 
Yeah. And it's the absence. It's it's the absence of hunger, as you say. There's the presence of a feeling of of being overfull, of course, right? Uh, and and so it's not, there's not really an emotional sensation, but the absence is better because you said earlier at the very beginning that that distance and uh, and uh, avoidance of feelings had something to do with the overeating. So when you are feeling this this, it's not quite numbness. At least that's not the sense that I'm getting. Is is that fair? Um, yeah, I think numbness just kind of, I kind of threw that out there as just, um, an easy word. I don't know that it's numbness exactly. Right. Okay. I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get into, into your skin in a, in a non, um, you know, silence of the lambs kind of way. Um, right. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to understand, um, like if, if I, when I was a kid, uh, um, I, I, before I started working uh, full time in the summers, I was I was bored, right? Because I didn't have much to do, didn't have any money, and and so on, right? I didn't have much to do in the summers, and so I'd have these afternoons where I just, uh, you know, it, it's like one of those long Sunday afternoons where you're not really looking forward to Monday, and you don't really have anything to do, and and so on, right? Is is it that kind of, um, it, and it's not exactly depression, it's not sadness, but it's just a kind of emptiness. Does that make any sense yeah that does make sense or like if you've uh, if you've watched a lot of television then you kind of go to bed and you don't feel good and you don't feel bad you feel a little bit like maybe you wasted some time um and it's just a kind of empty feeling like hollowed out yeah that that really resonates with me because i'll do things like um like Sunday nights before I start my work week, I will watch videos on my computer for just hours. And when I'm done, I feel like I was in control of that amount of time, but I don't feel happy or satisfied. It's just kind of a long amount of time I spent with myself kind of doing nothing. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I, 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 so, I mean, I, I'm just trying to want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm in the right mental space about where it is that this addiction gets you to right to, to this the sense of uh, of emptiness because there's something about addiction and again look as you know i'm no therapist no psychologist this is all just nonsense theories but but we'll see if they if they do any good addiction is kind of like putting your life on fast forward and what i mean by that is you always have something to occupy your mind with when you're addicted and so the normal process of self-actualization, of uh, self-knowledge, of uh, uh, expanding your uh, competence uh, in, in, in who you are and how you relate, big life plans and so on, those kind of go by the wayside when you have an addiction. And what happens is you are focused on managing the addiction, and that's always short-run management, right? Yes. Yeah, that really that really feels I really agree with what you just said. Um I remember when I first graduated from college, I had a lot of different desires of careers or directions to move in and things that really excited me. And that's kind of all gone. I'm just kind of dealing with the day-to-day of what's going on in my what I'm managing in my, inside of myself. Right. And so there's kind of like there's kind of like a feeling, and again, this is all just, just theory, right? But this, to me, there's, there's something around addiction which is kind of like 
get me to the end of my life more quickly. Because when you're just dealing with impulses and, and, and feelings and, and stuff that's all about self-management in the moment, that's what I mean by fast forward. It's like, get me, get me to the end of my life more quickly. I mean, there's a kind, it's not the same as suicidality. I mean, I don't want to say that, but it's kind of like a fast forward. You know, like if you're watching a movie and it's not particularly interesting, but you know there's a good bit coming up or whatever, you'll fast forward. And sort of people say, you know, they all sort of start walking around funny and so on, right? And uh, addiction to me is kind of like getting stuck on fast forward because you kind of go through life in a blur of immediate self-management rather than having, you know, big goals and, and things that you're willing to defer gratification for and satisfaction for. And so, If this makes no sense at all to you, then we'll totally drop it. This is just some thoughts I've had about addiction. It makes it makes complete sense. The last six months really have been a complete blur for me. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So, so I don't particularly want to talk about the weight issues. Uh, I'm I'm happy to talk about them if you want to, but they're a symptom in my humble uh, and completely untutored opinion. They are a symptom, and so I now that I think I have a some somewhat of a grasp and we have some agreement about a possible framework. Uh, I'd like to uh, look at, at root causes. Um, sure. Does, I, mean, I don't want to hijack, though. If you if there's something that you want to talk about that's not to do with that, I would be, uh, uh, obviously, I am your <laughs> humble servant in this matter. I mean, if there's anything that, that you think would be more productive, I'm happy to, to talk about anything else. I'm sorry, I missed what you just said. Oh, sorry. If there's Last... anything that you think would be more productive, I would be happy to talk about that. I, I missed it again. Oh, I'm Sorry. flipping out? No problem. We'll just wait for a second for the line to clear. Uh, just let me know if you can hear this. Yes, I can okay. hear you now. Uh, I, I don't want to hijack, though, if there's something that you feel would be more important to look at. I am your humble servant in these matters. Uh, um, so uh, we can do. We could talk about something else if, if this sort of childhood root causes would not be of, uh, as, as much value to you as something else. No, I think it would be of value. Um, I just had some anxiety when you mentioned it uh, about kind of unloading too much, um, more than is appropriate for, you know, a single podcast. Um, but I you do can, think that's you a can good unload. Idea. Look, you can unload all you want. Uh, uh, there's there's very little that I haven't heard by now, uh, and uh, and it's not going to shock or frighten or upset me. Um, so, uh, so you can unload all you want, right? This is your resource. So, um, don't, don't, don't worry. Don't withhold yourself for that reason in my, in my opinion, right? This is a rare opportunity, I think, in life where we have somebody who's willing to, to absorb, right, the stuff or at least listen to the stuff that's happened to us. So my suggestion is, you know, uh, <laughs> lock and load both barrels, brother. All right. Well, I agree that looking at the root causes is a fantastic idea. Now, obviously, you've had time to think about the root causes. Uh, do you want to start off, or would you prefer me to ask questions? What uh, what would work best for you? Um, I think I think if you start, it'll help organize my thoughts a little bit better. Okay, I could go in a million different directions. Sure. Well, I mean, in a way, that's what addiction is, right? Uh, it's paralysis <laughs> through uh, through options and self management. Okay, so um, I mean. My experience, and again, because I'm not a therapist, I just work with my experience. My experience has been 
that parental body issues have a big effect on on children. Uh, they they just do. And I mean, I just know from my own experience, uh, uh, I've I put on I don't know maybe a couple of pounds after I got married, which I then sort of lost again. I've been sort of the same weight since I was in my early twenties. But at the same time, because my mother is is very, um, I could say, I think fairly safely, I could say my mother is obsessed with slenderness and, and body issues. You know, every man on the planet who's not Brad Pitt looks at the Brad Pitt washboard abs and goes like, okay, well, maybe I'm not being paid $10 million a movie to, to have those abs, but they sure would be nice and blah, 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 right? So, uh, so I've had to be careful about my uh, body image issues, particularly as I get into my 40s, right? Because you just don't have the same metabolism and, and so on, right? So when I think about those kinds of things in my life, um, because I grew up without a father and grew up with a mother who did like leg lifts in the bath, you know, she was that much into keeping uh, herself trim and, and she could not, could not pass uh, a mirror or or even a, a store window where there was a, even that translucent reflection. Uh, she could not, without checking herself out and patting her stomach, and she was really, really, really obsessed with uh, um, maintaining this, this, this slender, willowy figure and so on. And that has, I can see the effects of that uh, on myself and, and my brother. Uh, and And it is this idea that you have to, like for her, it was like, because she didn't like herself, she had to look a certain way, right? So she, that was the value that she brought and so on. Now, I don't want to make this about my family, but that's sort of the first place that I look for when looking for a body issue, uh, image, uh, body image issues is at uh, the parents. So maybe you could start with what your parents uh, were like in terms of uh, self-liking, uh, self-acceptance, uh, body issues and, and so on. Okay. Um, well, my dad was, he's been basically very overweight um, my whole life. He hasn't really fluctuated much at all, um, at least since I was born. Um, he's kind Sorry, of... Sorry, just so I understand. Very overweight means uh, means what? It means probably around 320 um, and my same height. Wow. Okay. So like double body weight. Right, double, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe not. It depends on body type, uh, but um, but uh, you say five ten, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so between one sixty and two hundred, depending on body type or whatever, right? So, so this is quite quite a lot. Okay, got it. Right, and I I I think he was comfortable with it. Um, he was kind of an aggressive alpha male type. And there wasn't any indication to me that he wanted to change or was uncomfortable with how he looked. Um, my mother was someone who, before I was born, had been skinnier her whole life. But after she had children, she just got um, progressively heavier. She's a very short woman. And she's probably has the same percentage of excess body fat that my dad has. But I'm not sure exactly how much she weighs or how much extra weight she has on her. But they're both, they've both been heavy my whole life. And um, what, are the, um, what are the habits that contribute to, to the heaviness? I mean, is, is it just like carbs, carb sugar central uh, in the household? Is it like endless snacking? Uh, is it a complete lack of exercise? Or, what is it that, or is it all? Uh, what is it that contribute to that? 
uh, lack of exercise and um, kind of my mom would be the one who makes the huge meals and brings everyone together and makes them eat her food. Um, so it's kind of looked at as a sort of bonding exercise, everyone eating together. Um, well, everyone overeating together. Everyone eating together is great, right? Right. Everyone overeating together. That's correct. And um, is, sorry, go ahead. No, that, that that's it. I was I was done. Now, when you were a kid, uh, did, was this uh, um, uh, this uh, overeating? Was this something that was encouraged, or or um, was it was it part of your environment to like eat more, have more, and so on? Yeah, especially from my grandmothers and um, my mother. It's really hard for me to under, understand exactly how it how it worked with my mother because from a young age, I kind of displayed this desire to continually just eat more and more. Um, my mother loved to tell this story. She thought it was funny about how um, before I had teeth, I really wanted to eat rice and she would just feed it to me and I would, I would sit there trying to chew for hours, um, trying to digest, well, trying, trying to, to chew the rice without teeth. And um, she also would mention the story where she would feed me and I would keep eating. So she would just continue feeding me because she didn't want me to be hungry um, until I vomited. And so I've kind of, you know, hearing those stories growing up and always just wanting to eat, it's kind of hard for me to say that I was pressured. I, I don't have memories of being pressured to eat a lot. It kind of was something that I wanted to do. Well, not not till you vomited, right? Right, not till I, I mean, vomited. I mean, unless you're that. actually Nero, right? I mean, you don't, no kid wants to eat till they vomit, right? Right. But what I do get a sense of, and this is all, again, it's all nonsense, right? But but let me know if it, what I do get a sense of, which is interesting, is that I get a sense of, of almost of intimacy with your mother during this time period. And, and let me ask, did, did you feel that, um, how did you feel in terms of your mother's attention towards you? Did you feel that you had uh, a reasonable amount of attention uh, or did you feel that your mother was distracted or, or, or something else? Um. I was kind of, since I was probably in about fourth grade, um, probably, no, probably before then, probably my whole life, I've kind of been, you know, the, kind of like my mom's second husband. So mm. in that creepy, bad, sort of unloving and ultimately bad sort of way, um, I was. I always talked to her. We spent a lot of time bonding and um, spent a lot of time eating together too. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and of course, there is no non-creepy way that you can be a second husband. So right. I, I appreciate that distinction, but uh, just just to be clear. So yeah. Um, so okay. So your uh, your quote bonding with your mother, which I would question that term, but but let's use it for now. Uh, this involved uh, food uh, a fair amount, is that right? Right. Um, yeah. Uh, t tell me a little bit more about that. How would that show up? What would that look like? 
she would cook meals and you know some of my siblings would be picky eaters but I almost never would be so she it would get to the point where she couldn't she would claim that she couldn't cook to everyone's specifications but she would but she'd always end up cooking things that I would enjoy eating um and it was kind of like it was kind of we would talk about it before she cooked and I would always have like a a positive attitude about it whereas if she had probably tried to talk to some of the other siblings they would have expressed more of a preference for what she was going to make um and there might have been some arguing but we never argued about it and why not um cuz i think i could eat anything that uh, anything that she knew how to make was something that i would enjoy eating right and something that would be uh, certainly in the quantities unhealthy right right okay um now what would have happened if you had said to your mother, um, I, I, I don't want to sit here and, and eat and talk. I want to I wanna go outside. She would have taken it very personally. Um, she probably would have pleaded that I stay um, until I was done eating. Or if I said I didn't want to eat, she would probably badger me about my decision. Um, until I just relented and finished my meal just to kind of, just to please her. And what if you didn't please her? What if you said, no, I, I'm full. I, I don't want to, I don't want to eat anymore. And I want to go outside and play. I'd be sent to my room or punished in some other way. And so your oh. mother would get angry. Is that right? Sorry, did you just lose me there? No, I'm, I'm trying to think about that question. Um, yeah, we, if, if she ever made something that we didn't like to eat, she would get angry and it no, gets no, no, the, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Right. Cause we just, okay. we, we just hit our first pocket of, of resistance fog. Right. <laughs> right, right. So just so yes. you know, right. I, I heard a click right on the mine and then I stepped up and there was nothing there. Right. So let's go back <laughs> and poke around a little here. Right. Cause did you feel that? Yeah, I felt I couldn't think after you asked me that question. I was really trying to process the question, and I was having trouble. Right, right. Okay, but that's good. That means that we are uh, we're getting somewhere, and not that we haven't been, but but it means that we've got our first rabbit hole, right? Okay. When you say to me, my mom would send me to my room for not wanting to finish my food when I am full and to go outside and play, which is to get exercise, clearly that is an act of anger, right? Yes. I mean, you don't get sent to your room because your mother's happy with you, right? Right. So why was that hard to process? I mean, it's so obvious, right, when you, when you look at it that way. My mother would get, she'd take it personally, she'd get upset, she'd try and convince me, but if I continued, she would punish me, right? That is all manipulative and, and angry, right? Yep, it is. So why is that hard to, hard to process? I think it was hard for me to process because I was trying to imagine that happening, and I couldn't think of any cases where I actually fought that hard against her. So it was hard for me to see the anger because it was hard for me to imagine me, me resisting that hard. Well, but and just so you understand why I ask you that, the reason you didn't resist that hard is because you were perfectly aware of the anger, right? 
Yes, yes. Right, because there's a great question, and, and you may be feeling this, and maybe you won't, maybe you're not, but there's a great question that always came up to me when I was younger, right, which is, why the hell didn't I resist more, right? Like, why did I let my mom turn me into her second husband? Right, that would be the question for you, right? Mm-hmm. And have you, have you asked yourself that, or is that something that's on your, on your thinking roundabout? It, I think it had, I have thought about that, and I think it had to do with, a lot, it had a lot to do with feeling responsible for my, the well-being of my siblings, um, and the well-being of the family, and feeling ablo- obligated to be a, a sort of a peacemaker, leader type, um, and feeling guilty when I failed at doing that. And you realize that that is all completely incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, it was messed up. Uh, okay, and, and uh, I, I say this with all sympathy, right? A real, real sympathy for you, right? Uh, but, but tell me why you, the story you gave me about nobly wanting to uh, h- help the family be healthier and so on, uh, why, why that's all nonsense? It's, it would have been impossible for me to succeed at that, and there's no reason that a child could ever, in a million years, be expected to behave that way. Well, children, um, to be able to accomplish behave, that. Uh, children are expected to behave that way all the time, right? But you're right. I mean, of course, it's certainly not a grade four child's responsibility to maintain the mental health of the family, right? That's, that's not possible, right? Right. And uh, it was not a noble goal that you voluntarily wished to pursue because, as you say, you, you found it creepy, and I bet you found it creepy at the time, right? Yeah. Yes, I did. And the other way that we know that it was not a goal that you chose or was noble uh, is because you faced the threat of punishment if you did not comply. All right, so it's like a guy who's standing in his uh, jail cell, locked from the outside, saying, I have decided to stay here because I, I like the idea of being a monk. It's like, well, you're locked in, so don't tell me about your choices, right? Right, right. So these weren't choices. You were forced to appease your mother because of the threat of of, of punishment, right? Yep, yep, that's correct. Okay, and it's just important to be precise because otherwise you're going to have a distorted view of yourself if you ascribe choice to yourself where there was neither choice nor preference and in the face of punishment... That's not choice, right? Right. It, yeah, it's I don't just you do think that. that you wanted that, right? Or, or, or would have chosen right. that, or, or it was a responsibility of yours, or whatever, right? Right. It would be self-abuse to tell myself that it was something that I wanted. Right, or any kind of noble goal, or you wanted to keep the peace. No, you were forced to sacrifice your own interests in order to appease those who would... Uh, uh, punish you or, or guilt you or whatever, uh, manipulate you and those who had all the power. Yep. So what would have happened if you had stood your ground? And I'm not saying that it was at all possible for you. In fact, I'm entirely sure that it wasn't. Right? But the reason that you didn't... Because if, if you don't... Um, if you don't know the pressures that were arrayed against you, then it's easy to slip into... I don't know why I did it. I must have been a coward. 
Right. And I have to admit, I have trouble articulating those pressures. Um, sure. And, and that's because you weren't allowed to, to know them, right? No, I wasn't. That's right. Right. So, and this is why when we first hit that uh, fog patch, right, that's because we were hitting parental resistance, right? Yeah. Uh, you said you had siblings. How many siblings do you have? Um, three. And uh, where are you in the birth order? I am the second oldest. Okay. Do you mind if I uh, try layering another little theory uh, on on this and to see uh, see if it fits? Go ahead. I'd like that very much. Okay. It is my theory and has been for some time. Uh, if you ever see the movie like Water for Chocolate, um, that's where I first got it from. Um, it is my theory that when you have a neurotic or codependent or needy mother, as usually the case, it can go the other way, but we'll just go with the, with the standard. When you have a non-functional relationship between the husband and the wife, and you have a needy and neurotic and bottomlessly insecure and parasitical mother, one child, one child is picked out of the litter. And that child is inserted as a, a, um, a kind of finger in the dike of the neurosis of the mother, so to speak, to use metaphors that we won't even try to unravel. It's so complex, but right. But the the, the child is is jammed into the neuroses of the mother, so that everyone else gets relief from her neediness, right? Yeah. And that child is groomed to serve the needs of the mother which means is discouraged from having outside friends, is almost inevitably overfed to reduce sexual attractiveness, is, uh, is constantly uh, uh, channeled into spending time uh, uh, with the mother, right? And, and becomes the, uh, the boyfriend, Yep, that's that's exactly what happened to me. Um, if I ever expressed a preference for an attraction to a female my own age, um, my mother would basically she basically ridicule me for it and try to dress it up as a, a funny but shameful story um, of a kind of youthful ignorance or immaturity. Right. Right, and that is very common, and it is, at the very least, quasi-incestuous. Yeah. And it is also characterized, usually, by conversations with the child that are wildly age-inappropriate. Yep. Right, so, like, uh, my mother yeah. would tell me all about her boyfriends and her dating things, and, and it's like, I didn't know what the hell she was talking about, right? Other than it's you, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I my mother was married, but I do. When I was in fourth grade, I would watch um, I would watch Oprah with her 
all the time. And there's just so many topics that would be discussed on that show that completely inappropriate and um, disgusting for a young child to to be watching. Um, but it was something that we did together and we talked about it. Well, no, no, no. You didn't talk about it. Come on. Do you understand? And when you say no. we talked about it, I mean, come on. That's like saying when I was seven, I, I, I chatted with my mother about her relationships. I mean, when you're in grade four, you can't talk about Oprah, right? No, you're right. I, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't have the maturity, um, to even process what I was seeing. So how could I talk about it? Right. What happened is it was inflicted upon you. It was traumatizing. And then your mother would drone on about it for her own satisfaction, right? I think there was a curiosity there, though, on my part. And uh, sure, look, I understand that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I understand the curiosity. I really do. That doesn't mean that it's appropriate, right? Right. I mean, to take a ridiculous example, right? If you show some adult movie, I mean, I don't mean a sex movie, but like a, a violent movie to some kid in grade four, there's going to be a kind of sick fascination, but it completely overwhelms him, right? Yes, yeah. That I, really I remember my mother, um, my mother, I don't even know where the hell she got these movies, but... Um, uh, uh, they would be like movies on really late at night that were just completely weird. I just, I really strongly remember uh, some song, uh, Call Me a Cannibal, I Can't Die, and there was all these guys shuffling uh, naked along the floor on their hands and knees and, and like all these naked guys. And, and it's like, dear God, <laughs> right? Well, wildly inappropriate stuff to show a five or six-year-old kid, right? Yeah. And, of course, it was fascinating because it was so overwhelming, right? Yeah. Like, if I stuck a fork into an electrical socket, I'm sure I would be a little bit fascinated by electricity. That doesn't mean that you let kids stick forks into electrical sockets, right? Yeah. Okay, so, so if I understand this rightly, you've, you, you were groomed for you know, eternal breastfeeding, so to speak. Although, in fact, it's your mother feeding off you, right? Right, yep. So, again, just tell me if these don't apply, right? Because I don't want to put something out that doesn't fit the facts, right? And even if it does, it doesn't mean it's true, right? But uh, so so you were not uh, encouraged to, you know, travel, uh, to, 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 to uh, take jobs far away from your mother, uh, you were not encouraged to date. In fact, you would have been actively mocked for dating. You were not encouraged to go to school uh, away, right? So all of this is, is keeping the umbilical uh, only with the blood flow reversed, right? It's draining your future and your life and your sexual potential in order to keep you attached to a neurotic and needy mother, right? Yeah.
Yeah, I didn't. I my school was very close to home. Um, when I moved out, I moved out somewhere that's about ten minutes from where I used to live with my parents. Um, and before I do food, um, the biggest conflict that I had with my mother was that I wasn't calling her every day. So, yeah, basically just there to placate her. At the expense of, of your life, right? Completely, yeah. So, does this at least provide some root causes as to why your family is heavily invested in your obesity? You mean now? Yes, now. This doesn't end, you understand. This ends when your mother dies. Right? This is not designed to end. This doesn't end right until you stop it, all right? But yes, now and for the future. I don't I don't see how they're invested in your weight gain. Right. Okay. Tell me where the thread was dropped, right? Because we were talking about your family grooming you as basically a vampiric soul source for your mother's emptiness, right? Mm -hmm. Until she's dead, yeah. right? Yeah. Is she dead? No. Is she dying? Nope. Do they want you to get married? No. Do they want you to have a life? Do they want you to move away? Do they want you to take big risks in your career? Do they want you to go to Thailand and and uh, and travel? No. And what's the best way of doing that? What tethers you close to the family all the time? Isolation and obesity, depression. Yeah. This is what it's like to have a vampire off your neck for a couple of decades. Wow. Of course they're invested in this now, right? Yeah. I mean, tell me if I'm going astray. I don't want to put words in your mouth or lead you down a garden path. I, I just, this is the way that I see it in accordance with what you're telling me. But, uh, you know, this is all just theory, right? No, it, I, it really, it feels, it feels correct. Um, I got the image, I got this disgusting image of when I'm eating pizza this image of my mother kind of watching me silently um, in the dark. Uh, yeah, I, I completely, I completely understand that, and I think that is. I mean, the, I'm not. All, the truth as to why you overeat is all within you, right? It's just that you're you're not supposed to know it, right? Yeah. And so, uh, are you in your twenties? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so so let me tell you how it's supposed to work, right? I, I know that you, you're defooing or have defooed, but let, let me tell you how this is supposed to work, and then you can look at what you have uh, avoided, okay? Okay. The way that it's supposed to work for you is this. You are 
given low self-esteem through obesity, through overeating as a child. You are under-socialized relative to your peer group because your mother fastens onto you all the time, right? And you can't get away. So it means that you then not only have less confidence because of obesity and because of a lack of sportiness, uh, a lack of physical dexterity, all of the stuff that young boys and young girls should be doing, which is, you know, playing and going outside and building up their dexterity and their strength and their flexibility and their coordination. And also you're, you're uh, obese, you're a mama's boy, you're bad at sports, right? Nobody wants to hang with you and, and you're self-conscious and you're awkward and, you know, you can't quite connect with the people around you, right? All of this is designed, and I'm not saying consciously, right? But, but this is the effect, right? Yeah. It really makes sense when I think about it that way. Yeah. You, you, if, if, you, if you're raising a cow for veal, you don't give it free range, right? You feed it milk and you prevent it from moving, right? You domesticate it. You, you turn it into livestock. You don't exercise it like a racehorse, right? Right. So you are uh, crippled in your capacity to gain social points with your peer group, right? Is that, is that fair to say? Could you say that again, please? You are crippled in your capacity to gain status with your peer group, right? Right. I mean, right. can you tell me a time where you ever felt that you had status with your peer group? No. No, never. Right. And I know this because I went through this, right? This is not, I'm not theorizing in a vacuum here, right? I mean, I'm with you. I'm, 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 I'm down there with you, right? I know what this is. So what happens is then you are kept in a low status situation, right? Always, always, always low status. And always, always, always distant and fearful of your peer group, right? Yep, always. Right. And were you, you weren't encouraged... To I mean, some people just aren't athletic, right? And and that's fine, right? They can become, they can gain status in some peer group, right? With with chess or Dungeons and Dragons or math or whatever, right? But if I understand this rightly, that wasn't the case for you, right? No, I was I was really uncoordinated um, in sports, and the fact that I was nervous all the time just made it even worse. Now, now, you got to be precise, my friend. You have to be precise. And I know it's not easy to be precise. Right? You were prevented from becoming coordinated in sports. You understand? Yeah. Now, that's important. This is really important. You say, oh, well, I wasn't coordinated. And it's like, it's just, I'm blonde, right? But that's not how it is, right? Right. You were overfed, under-socialized, and prevented from going outside to learn better coordination, right? Yes, that's true. I mean, I at least had the benefit that my mom worked, so I had a couple of hours between school and my mom coming home, 
where I could do sporty stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So you were prevented. Right? You didn't not play sports because you just happened to be uncoordinated, right? You were prevented from being coordinated as if you had been hamstrung, right? Yeah, that's true. And, and therefore, you didn't play sports, right? I mean, if somebody cuts my right. Achilles heel and somebody says, well, why didn't you become a runner? You don't say, well, I just didn't have much strength in my left heel. Mysteriously, right? Right. Yeah, some asshole cut my heel. Right? Yeah. And so what happens is you can get by to some degree with boredom and with frustration and with a feeling of inhibition, but it's somewhat manageable until you hit puberty, right? Now, puberty to these families, for the child who is marked out to feed to the mother in a kind of emotional cannibalism, the child who is marked out for this will almost always be told or have inferred that puberty is disgusting. Yeah. Go on. Well, I was... I was basically made fun of for bringing issues up relating to the physical changes that accompany um, puberty. Right. It's hairy, it's smelly, it's disgusting, it's, you know, vile, it's ew, it's right. And suddenly, right. there's a weird switch, right? Because suddenly, this woman who's more than happy to have you sit there and watch all the gross shit that goes down on Oprah is turning into Blanche Dubois, right? Oh, the vapors, right? Yeah. And do you know why that happens? I would think that going through puberty would, in a, in a, in a natural environment, that would make all the natural desires of a person to explore the world and explore new relationships even stronger. Right. The will to do that would be even stronger. See, yeah, you know all this, right? It's because puberty leads you away from mother, as it should, right? Yeah. Right? Unless you're living in the Ozarks, right? I mean, puberty is designed to catapult you out of the family over time. I mean, I mean, out of the, right? Out. It's supposed to point you out of the family to, to the creation over time of a new family, right? However long that takes, right? Yep. I had a long puberty having a baby at 42. But, um, but, but that's the purpose of puberty, right? That's why you have friction with your family. That's why you want to spend more time with your peer group than you do with... Because they're falling away like stages in a rocket. They're supposed to fall away, your family, right? It doesn't mean that you don't ever see them if you like them or whatever, but but that's what puberty is designed to do, right? And yeah, so it's, and that's not what happens. No, it's a great threat, right? Because if you catch on, and there's no way you ever would have, right? But if, if you catch on and you're like, holy shit, 
I'm getting tingly bits. I like it. Right. And you're like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm losing this weight. I'm going to the gym. I'm getting a better haircut. I'm whatever. Right. Whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and practice basketball for four hours a day. Whatever it is, improve my coordination. I'm going any of that. Right. Then, then what happens is that leads you away from your intended purpose, which is to be stuffed into your mother's mouth so other people don't have to listen to her. Right. And and that's sort of, I gave it a shot during one year of high school where that summer um, I went to the gym and I, I worked out and I I wasn't done. I didn't achieve a 100% healthy body weight, but I was getting really close. And it was during the summer um, and it, it felt... I got the impression that it was okay for me to do it during the summer, but as soon as school started, that week, the first week of school after that, I never went to the gym again. And you know why? And it just kind of fell away. And you know why, right? I'm not sure. Okay, well, did you have access to a lot of girls over the summer? No. Well, what happens when you go back to school and you're looking good? Uh, yeah. Did you see? Yeah, and that, that's exactly what happened. And it just, as the school year progressed and I got started gaining the weight back and got depressed about it, you know, all the little opportunities that I started noticing at the beginning of the school year were completely gone by the end of it. Right, because you were, you were not supposed to meet a girl, right? Because that interferes with the whole point, right? Yeah. Of you having to carry around this whispery, whiny mother on your back, right, for the rest of your natural-born life. Right, this body. So, and and they don't need to do it for too long, because what happens, and is this helpful? I want to make sure that we're doing useful stuff here for you. Yes, this is very helpful. Well... Because, because here's what happens, right? Is that if they can keep you away from girls for a couple of years through piling down your self-esteem, through uh, keeping you overfed, right? Right. Overfed cows need fewer fences because they can't get very far, right? Mm-hmm. If they can keep you away from girls just for a while, then... You miss the bus, right? That's a, that's exactly what happened in college. I got even more... I was even more socially retarded. And it was it seemed even more impossible than ever before. Right, right. Because everyone's moved ahead, right? Yeah. And now it becomes... It's like the 40-year-old virgin thing, right? It becomes like, how do I go back, right? Yeah. How can I circle back? It's like it's like having a job where you pretend you can read, right? <laughs> Although, I mean, you, you know what I mean? Like you, after a while, how do you how do you say I can't read, right? If you miss that, if you had to fake it, right? Yeah, and, and the last the last few years of college, I I just started making plans of for living a life completely alone, just well, not because completely it was too alone. Painful. Not completely alone. Completely alone would have been a vast improvement. 
That's true. That's not You're the right. plan for you is not completely alone, right? The right. plan is talk to your mother. Go see your mother. Go be with your mother, right? Yeah. So I, ma I made plans the last few years of college to just kind of live not as a monk because I would be, I'd still be in contact with the family, but um, of just abandoning any intrinsic desire to meet new people or have romantic relationships. Sure. Um, sure. Because it's just too hard to think about it knowing that knowing that I know knowing that I wouldn't be able to do it telling myself that I wouldn't be able to do it right and and of course that becomes more and more true the longer you leave it right yes yeah and so so this is where you are right you're in this um you are you are substituting, and again, this is all just theory, right? But I'm gonna just I'm just gonna let rip like it's not, and you can tell me if it's all nonsense. But what's happening is you're poised on the brink, and you're panicking, and it's damn good that you're panicking, in my opinion. And you're panicking because it's like I don't have forever to turn this around, right? Yeah. If I'm gonna turn it around, and it sounds like you're doing great work, right? If you're separating from these. People and again, I'm just assuming that's a good decision. It certainly sounds like it. I don't don't really care about the details because we got to focus on your future, right? Because it sounds like you've got a pretty good grip on your past. But you don't have forever to turn this around, right? Life moves along, right? We don't yeah. we don't pass the same number of forks in the road when we're forty that we do when we're thirty or when we're twenty, right? Yeah. Right. Well, when when I was twenty, I could have become a doctor. Now that I'm forty-two, it's not very likely, right? Right. When I'm fifty-two, it's pretty much impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's not much point becoming a doctor at the age of sixty-five, right? Or sixty. Yeah. And so this is occurring for you, right? that you, you recognize that your window of opportunity will wink out at some point, right? Yeah. And you feel, I would imagine, that it's relatively close. And this thing where you do, because you're distracting yourself from the big arcs and choices of your life with these petty things, these little things about how much should I eat or what should I eat or, or, or should I not eat and, oh, look, people aren't seeing me eat. This is all distracting nonsense, right? Yes, yes it is. Tell me what you're feeling. Um, dissatisfaction. Um, no, it's I feel... Uh, I, I knew when I started the DeFu process and I moved out and I did these things... You know, the idea in the wings was, this is going to be great. I'm going to meet people, and it's and it's not, it's, that is not even close to what's happened since then. Right. Um, not even close. Right, because you moved out of your parents' house, but you didn't kick them out of your head, right? 
Because this stuff is relatively new for you, what we're talking about tonight. Yeah. And and your obsessions with the little details of the everyday are entirely designed to keep you from seeing this big picture, right? Like the same way the obsessions with did Barack Obama wear a fucking lapel pin is all designed to get people to forget that the state is violence, right? Yeah. So you're like, oh, how do I feel right now? How do I feel right now? I got to get this food. These little things. Addiction is all about these little tiny things, right? And I know. I mean, I know. And it's designed to let the big choices in your life just roll by like clouds over your house in the night without you even seeing them until it's too late, right? Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. It's working really well so far. Of course it is. Absolutely it is. And it does work. And many great souls, many great men, many great women have been brought down by just this kind of mechanisms within the family. This parasitism, this role reversal, right? This second husband this quasi-incestuous feeding of the children to the neediness, narcissism, and vacuosity of the mother. But that doesn't have to be your fate. Right? As long as you think it's about whether you eat a pizza or two, it will be your fate. Because you will be managing the symptoms rather than the cause. Right? But what you were robbed of, my friend, goes right back almost to the fucking womb. The socialization that you were robbed of, the sportiness that you were robbed of, the childhood carefree playingness that you were robbed of. No one who is a boy who is in grade four wants to sit with his mother and watch Oprah, right? Right. I mean, of all the list of things, right? I worked in a daycare, not once, not once (laughs) did a little boy say, can we watch Oprah? (laughs) Oh, God, I never thought how messed up that was. That's not what you wanted. Yeah. You want to be out on balls and and running through the woods and and, uh, playing war or playing whatever, right? Yeah. You wanted to be out running around, right? Keeping you pressed up against your mother's flank and feeding you like a piece of meat, like a veal-fed calf, is child abuse in the extreme. If you don't finish your food, I will punish you. And now food is and remains your punishment, right? Yes. And you have a huge pit to climb out of. And I really sympathize with this, right? You're like the guy raised by wolves who has to learn English at the age of 25, right? Yeah. Now, you can do it, but you have to look at the big picture of your life and what you want. Otherwise, you won't have any compared to what, right? Why would you lose the weight? What's the point? Your life is not very satisfying, right? 
Right. This is why you want to fast forward with addiction and just get it the fuck over with, right? I mean, what do yeah. you see in the future that's so appealing? More days like today, like yesterday, like the day before, like, is that what you want? No. This is why you want to fast forward, because it's like, well, I'm not unhappy enough to kill myself, but I'm not happy enough to plan for anything, because there's nothing to look forward to. Same as today, only fatter and older, right? Yeah, that's so true. And that's what addiction is designed to do, to get you distracted with these stupid little details, so that you miss all the big choices until it's too late. And then, I tell you this, when it's too late, the choices will become clear, and you will live with a kind of regret that it's hard to imagine now. And no amount of... I'm sorry, I missed, I, missed, I missed that point. When the choices have genuinely rolled past, and there is no turning back, change is not a lifelong privilege. Change is something we have to maintain, right? And when your choices have rolled past, and it is too late to go back, and it is too late to relearn, then everything that you have missed, every choice that you have avoided through these little addictive obsessions, all of those choices, all of that loss will become clear to you when it's too late. I've seen that happen, and it is not a pretty thing. It's like the guy who, uh, who only gets how sm bad smoking is when he gets lung cancer, right? Then it's yeah. completely clear to him how bad it is. But before, it was all the distraction, right? Oh, well, I'll wait. I'll cut down a little bit. I'll, I'll wait another five minutes to have my next cigarette. All that stupid little shit that we all think about, right? So when the, this is hard for you to see, right? But this is the downside. You will not continue in the same way for the rest of your life. What will happen is the choices that you missed in conformity with your family's parasitism will become clear to you when it is too late to change them. And that you do not want. Yeah, no, I definitely do not want that to happen. But you have to rouse your manly heart in order to avoid that, right? You have to say, it's not about one pizza or two pizzas. It's not about whether people see me eating or not, right? It's not about every time I look in the mirror, you said you feel this disgust, right? That's all just nonsense. Right. That's all just distracting, crappy little nonsense. And and look, I do it too. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, uh, um, casting down any judgments from on high, right? A couple of times a day, I will look at my belly in the mirror and say, like, like it's going to change from morning to afternoon, right? Am I, uh, did I gain any weight? Right? You know, I mean, we all do it. I understand that, right? So you can't eliminate it, but, but you've got to change the way it's mastered you, right? Right, and it's, it's so funny because that's – it's not funny, but that's exactly the kind of insight I was looking for in this conversation. Um, little things, little insights that would help me maybe in the moment to make a small decision that would help eventually – have a big result, um, like little logical tricks. Yeah, or... yeah, no, fuck that. It's it's way too late yeah. for you to get little cross corrections here, right? 
and and I say this yeah. with all sympathy, right? This is not it's not your fault that you ended up in this situation, but it damn well is your fault if you stay here. Right? You got pushed down a big pit, and I totally sympathize with that. Right? And I'm saying, hey, you're in a big pit, and I'm throwing down a rope as best I can. You gotta climb. Nobody can climb, right? For you. But you gotta have a goal, a picture of saying, okay. I was raised by vampires, right? So I'm a little anemic. In fact, I'm a lot anemic, right? What am I going to do about it now? And I've, I've never, I never thought about it that way before. I never, I never connected with it that way before at all. Not even close. It always became me fighting myself. It, like a, a battle of wills. Sure. Um, which was never effective in the long run at all. No, willpower doesn't. Willpower does nothing. Willpower is, a, in my opinion, it's a complete myth. Now, self-knowledge and understanding achieves miracles, but willpower is for the weak. Willpower is for the people who can't face their past. Willpower is just another little distraction to manage yeah. addiction. It's a way to get you to battle yourself in a classic Catholic manner, right? Willpower is bullshit. Self-knowledge is everything. Wisdom, philosophy, truth, authenticity, self-actualization, that is power. Willpower is weak self-manipulation where you always end up taking the hit, right? Getting blamed. And that, yeah, when I lost all that weight in college, it's exactly, I was consumed by the entire idea of losing weight. It was all I thought about. Um, right. It wasn't willpower, right? Yeah. And, and the break, the Christmas break that I had before I started doing that at college was immensely depressing. And it was after that semester of losing all that weight um, that I started listening to FDR and like really started feeling satisfaction in a way that getting to bigger issues than a whole semester of just dealing with unimportant I mean because dealing with the weight I I thought of it as a, a productive thing um, but it wasn't it wasn't a fulfilling process or enjoy I didn't enjoy it at all and it was just so bogged down in those stupid details, and that's just exactly what I'm doing now. That and that's really dissatisfying. Right. I'll tell you, I mean, it's a little thing about willpower that I always remembered. You know, I sucked my thumb until I was in my mid-teens. Literally. Uh, I would not be able to go to sleep without putting my thumb in my mouth. Um, and I tried everything. I get the wormwood, you know, put it on my thumb, and I tried everything to... To not do that, right? Because it just seemed kind of silly, right? And every now and then, right, I'd fall asleep on a couch watching a movie with friends. And, you know, like, it's, it's embarrassing, right? It's like bedwetting. Or, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I tried everything. Willpower, 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 right? And then it stopped when I was 16 in one night, and I never had the urge again. And do you know why? Well, of course you don't know why. <laughs> Sorry, I'll tell you. It stopped because... I went to Africa and slept under my father's roof. 
and I had, I, I fell asleep under my father's roof without even thinking of sucking my thumb, and I have never had the urge since. Now, of course, there's lots of dense psychological reasons for that, but the reality is that willpower just distracted me with this back-and-forth tug of war. It became another stupid little obsession that wasted time and kept me away from the big picture. That totally makes sense. I was an on-again, off-again, I mean very light, like one, one to two cigarettes a day, off-again, on-again smoker for, I don't know, maybe eight, eight or nine years. And, and I would quit for a year, and then I'd have another cigarette, and then whatever, right? But, and, and when I, I was like, oh, I should quit, and then I'd want a cigarette, and I'd wrestle, right? But, uh, but self-knowledge and therapy and having a larger purpose, I just, I can now, I mean, I watch a, a movie with smoking in it, and before, I'd always say, well, yeah, damn it, they should put warnings on these movies, right? If you are trying to quit smoking, there will be lots of people happily smoking in this movie. Don't do it, right? Don't see it, right? It's like watching porn if you want to be a monk. It's not a good idea, right? <laughs> but, um, uh, but uh, self-knowledge, self-actualization, uh, uh, then you don't need willpower because you understand the roots of the evasion and the self-destruction and you don't need to will it, right? Willpower is, is like trying to change the tides by beating at the surface of, a, of, of the ocean with a paddle, right? You just, you're busy and you feel like you're doing a lot, but nothing's changing deep down, right? Using willpower to solve addiction is like trying to vote to, to fix government, right? Does not get to the root issue. And, and as I say, it always ends up just biting you in the ass, right? Because you always fail and then you feel like you're weak, right? Yeah. That's, that's what I've been doing this past six months. Right. And, and it's just you progressively spend, uh, failing. You can spend six years or 60 years doing the same thing and it will get you nowhere. But if you understand what happened in your childhood, and, and you understand, I'm giving you a framework, but the, the, the real work is yours, and I really, 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 really strongly suggest doing it with a therapist, wherein you might find out that my, see, <laughs> my framework might be completely wrong. I don't think it is, but, but it might be. But the important thing is that you're thinking about it in these terms, right? Yeah. Do you see? I mean, if, it it doesn't matter whether your mom might turn out to be a saint and maybe something else happened, right? Maybe an uncle grabbed your ass. I don't know, right? But but the reality is that you have to think about it in these terms in order to solve this problem. Right? It's not like uh, you know, well, just just picture that someone farted on your pizza and you'll never want to eat it again, right? I mean, this is the nonsense that people fundamentally say, right? These little stupid tricks. Put a picture of a thin person on your fridge. Like, literally. This is the, this is the level that we work at in society. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. But that's not what's going to save your life, right? Literally and figuratively. 
Because just right. you know, right? You, you're not likely to make it much past 40 or 50, right? At this rate. No. It's not sustainable, not even remotely. No, and I mean, if you don't have it, you're going to get early onset diabetes and, and you know, heart problems. And it's going to get worse and worse, right? I mean, you, you got to deal with it now. And willpower is not going to do a damn thing. But understanding mm -hmm. everything that was taken from you, the pressure that you were under to appease your mother, that the, the bullying, the manipulation, the aggression that you were faced with is something that you need to, to really get. And that way, you can stop blaming yourself for the situation that you ended in. If, if I had been born into your family... I would be on your side of the phone, right? Nobody can resist parents. Nobody can resist parents. You can appease them or you can fight them tooth and nail. And it's the people who fight them tooth and nail who generally end up worse. So I think that you did the very smartest thing that you could have done, right? This is where you get the medal if you want it. And I'll just end up with this because I know you've got a lot to, to think about. But I believe, I truly believe that you did the very wisest and very smartest thing that you could have done. If you just started dating with this family around... And, and it will take you a while to appreciate how bizarre these people are, how Fellini-esque these people are. I mean, they're like bit players in blue velvet or something, right? If you'd have started dating, you would have been ritually humiliated in front of your date. Yeah. And that would have been much worse to recover from than what's happened, right? So I think that you should trust that you did the right thing in appeasing, that you did the right thing in eating, that you did the right thing in not dating. And the part of you that managed to guide you through all of this while retaining the capacity for curiosity, change, self-knowledge, right? The part of you that latched on to FDR and said, Water in the desert, drink deep, right? Yep. That part of you is your fucking savior. And you should be, in, in my opinion, no, it's not even my opinion. You just damn well should be incredibly proud of what you have done and what you have managed to salvage from this slow, multi-decade plane crash of a family life. It could have gone a whole lot worse for you, but you navigated this with incredible skill. And you appeased where necessary. You kept your awareness where necessary. You had the, the, the balls to call me. I mean, that wasn't fun or easy, right? No, no, it wasn't. I mean, that's horrible, right? You know, all day, you're like, fuck, I could eat five pizzas now. I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, Jesus, I mean, take a bow, seriously. And, and, and 
you say you've recently finished college, you can do this. You can turn this around. You totally can. Look, I didn't meet my wife till I was 35, 36. I'm not saying it's going to take that long. It won't. But you can totally do it. As long as you rely on deep self-knowledge, big picture planning, and a refusal to obsess about this slice or that slice, but to go deep and to go early and to understand how deep the roots of this tree go, right? I mean, if you want to uproot a tree, you've got to figure out how deep the roots go. Otherwise, you can't, right? You just pull it, push at the tree and saying, I'm willing it to fall over, right? It doesn't. Yeah. But once you know how feel, deep the roots go, it's quite easy. Sorry, you're going to say? I, I feel more equipped than ever before in my entire life to deal with this problem. Like in the last hour and a half I've been talking to you, I feel more equipped, better equipped than ever before. And you will talk to a therapist? Yeah. And my, you know, there's lots of suggestions about choosing therapists, but you really need someone who's on your side, right? And who, who understands, right? Who understands the family you came from, right? The exploitation. And who doesn't think it's willpower and, and, and so on, right? Yeah. And who doesn't think that, oh, it's low self-esteem, which causes you to gain weight, which causes you to have low self-esteem, like you're some vicious cycle all on your own, right? Like like uh, like you're orbiting a, a sun, but there's no sun, right? I mean, it makes no sense, right? So you, I think you just need to find someone and, and, you know, be picky, right? It's your money, it's your time, it's your soul. Find someone who's going to be on your side. But you can totally turn this around, uh, I, I truly believe. Wow. Thanks a lot, Steph. I really, I really feel, I really, feel, I feel a lot of gratitude right now. Um, I don't, I could not, I don't think in a, it, it, I couldn't have seen this if I continued doing what I was doing before. No, no, and it, it's all designed to not have you see it, and defooing wouldn't have solved the problem. And and there's nothing, I mean, this is why we need each other, right? We all have this image like philosophy is a mountaintop pursuit. It's not. We absolutely need each other. I can't see the stuff about myself. You can't see the stuff about you, because that's how we're raised, right? So that's that's why... It was so important for you to call and, and why I'm so glad that you did. Me too. Me too. All right. So listen, tomorrow, call a therapist, set up an appointment and, and talk to them a little bit beforehand and just ask them about their experience with weight issues, with, uh, with uh, <laughs> you know, quasi-incestuous, parasitical, vampiric family issues. You may not want to put it quite like that, but um, uh, but just get a sense of, of their experience with it and... Uh, you know, get get the big picture going, right? It's not about whether you eat in public. It's not how many pieces of pizza you eat at all. But you can reclaim that which was taken from you, and you've already done the big work of detaching from uh, the family, and uh, you can totally uh, have the life that you have earned through your courage and persistence, and you should have it. Yeah. All right, so let us you'll, you. you'll post on the board. Let us know how it goes with the therapist, if you don't mind. Definitely. All right. Thank you, man. Definitely. I will send you a copy of this. Uh, uh, do you feel um, 
Uh, how do you feel about it, it uh, going out? I know that uh, you've gotten some great comments and lots of backslaps. Backpats! Probably a little nicer. Uh, do you do you want to listen to it beforehand? Do you mind if I uh, if I put it out? Um, I think I want to listen to it beforehand, but I feel I feel really good about sharing this with everybody. Okay, I, I appreciate that. I will uh, I will send it to you tomorrow, and uh, just just take your time. But but listen to it sooner rather than later. Not because of it going out, just because uh, it's important to review this stuff. All right. Well, thanks, man. Great, great, great work. Uh, you should be incredibly proud, in my opinion, and uh, I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Steph. Okay, bye. Bye.